this is Elevation Gains Podcast. I'm Jim, an avid backpacker and hiker from Reno, Nevada. I'm Holly, a coach and weightlifter. I own a strength gym in Oakland, California. And on this podcast, we attempt to break down some of the barriers that keep people from enjoying the backcountry. We are back. Welcome back to uh, Evolution Gains. It's been a while, and that's kind of largely on me. Well, I mean, it's it's on both of us. I think we don't communicate via text super a lot, and I think we might be going through a similar brain space, and that's kind of an exciting thing because now we're going to talk about it. Yeah, that's. I think this episode... Uh, not necessarily outdoor focused. We're we're focusing a little more inward and talking about depressive episodes and and how to manage those. And uh, I've definitely been in one lately, so I've got a lot to share here. Yeah. So before we hit record, we got way too deep into a conversation and I want to circle back to that. So it seems like one of the things that has affected that brain space is like you, you had a post go viral. Yeah. So I started uh, against my better judgment. I started a TikTok page. It's one of the things I said I was never interested in. You know, I, I downloaded TikTok I don't know, maybe a year ago, like mid mid quarantine, I was just bored as most of us were and right. decided, oh, okay, I'll check out TikTok. Everybody's on TikTok. All my friends are posting TikTok stuff. So I downloaded it and I had it for, I, I think it was like an hour and a half. I was like, wow, fuck this. This is the worst <laughs> app ever. Like I hate so much about this. This is a miserable place. And I'd kind of sworn it off and then got talked into doing a new one that tied directly into the YouTube channel. And so I was just only going to post hiking content. Uh, I was only going to follow other hikers. And uh, I had a post go viral. It was like my third or fourth post, which like, you know, for most people, when they do something like TikTok, like that's the dream. Like you, you, that's what you want. You want, you know, like people wait years and years and do hundreds and hundreds of posts and, and, and aim for that to go viral. And like my third one, which was kind of a reaction video to another video I saw, but I decided rather than dumping on this person who said what I thought was kind of a dumb thing, I would put a positive twist on, on what this other creator said and, and try to try to inject some positivity and, and, joy you know into the the tiktok algorithm which seems pretty lacking in that space (laughs) yeah the internet can be a pretty toxic place but i want to stop you here for a second and and like so can you just like quick rundown on what that video was in a response to okay so the original video there was this trend on i'm I'm treading lightly around here because i don't want to call the specific creator out uh for two reasons one i just i just think that's a shitty thing to do and two, I don't want to promote shitty people. Like, I don't right. want people to go seek this creator out and, and give them more attention. They, they've right. already gotten enough as far as I'm concerned. 
Um, so the, the original post was essentially making fun of people who carry a certain piece of hiking equipment, uh, trekking poles. And they're basically, you know, oh, you look really stupid when you're using your, your ski poles when you're hiking. And I filmed a direct response to that specific creator where I actually called them out by name and was like, this is, these are the reasons people would need to carry trekking poles. And then I deleted that because it was just, it just seemed to, it it seemed to play antagonistic, but also it just seemed to play right into what they were hoping, you know, because negative commentary gets so much traction on that, on that app you know, the, the, it seems like the worse person you are, the better chance you have of succeeding on TikTok. Um, so I deleted that and I decided, you know what, instead of that, I'm going to I'm going to pick five things that I've heard other people from the outdoor community complain about um, and explain why these aren't things that you should necessarily complain about. Like like some people need to use trekking poles, your your pack weight only matters to you. Like, I don't care how much weight you have on your backpack. Carry 50, 80 pounds, carry five pounds. I don't give a shit. Don't just, don't (laughs) expect me to do your thing. You know, anyway, and so I picked like five things that I've consistently heard people complain about. And I was just kind of, you know, hey, let's not shame people for approaching the outdoor community differently than we do. Let's, Let's encourage people. Let's invite people in and help them out. And my page literally went from uh, 16 followers and 65 total views to overnight. I had, it was like 6,000 followers and counting and the post had over a million views and it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Like every time I open that app, there's like hundreds of notifications. Um, I, and I'm, I'm the kind of person, like, if somebody writes me on my YouTube channel, I respond to them. If somebody writes me on Instagram, I respond to them. There was no, there, there weren't enough hours in the day to respond to everybody who was writing me on TikTok. Because it was just like, I would open the app and there'd be 50 new notifications. I'd answer as many as I could. And while I was answering them, like 50 more came <laughs> in. And as with anything on the internet, when you hit, a certain level of, of views or you hit, you know, viral, whatever you want to call it, you get negative comments and negative commentary and shitty people. And I got a lot of that. And that, that kind of stuff, like I take it really personally. I know I shouldn't, I know like saying it out loud feels silly, but that doesn't change the fact that those kind of comments hit and they bother me. Um, so TikTok has this thing where people can cut the audio from your video and put their own video over the top of it. Right. And so what a lot of people will do is they'll take the audio from a video that's already gone viral and they'll put their own visuals to it. And then, you know, those posts go viral as well. And so thousands of people did that with this TikTok that I made, like literally thousands and I, I would open the app and I would hear my disembodied voice coming from like other people's channels. And so I inherited all their trolls and all their haters 
two. So not only now were the people who originally saw my original post leaving shitty, hurtful comments, all these people from other pages who, who consistently leave shitty and hateful comments on these other creators' pages were now coming to my page and leaving shitty, hateful comments. And my reaction to the whole thing, and this is, I know any creator out there, like anybody who, who has some goal of like being a creator as a, as a career is going to lose their shit. Um, I just stopped. I just, I turned the app off. I turned off the notifications and I never made another fucking video. <laughs> okay. So how did that feel? Um, in terms of TikTok specifically, it feels pretty good because I don't even open that app anymore. Like just today I opened it for the first time just so that I'd have accurate numbers when we started talking about this for the podcast. Right. But that's probably the first time I've opened it since I decided not to make any more. Okay. And is that the beginning of stopping content creation and feeling like pretty not great about stuff? I, I, you know, and this is where it gets hard is in, in the wake of not creating stuff for TikTok anymore, I not intentionally stopped creating stuff for YouTube as well. Like I haven't, I, I took, I took three weeks off. I usually post once a week. I, I purposefully took three weeks off, um, because of just weather and, and other factors. And we had a bunch of stuff going on around the house, home improvements and stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a little YouTube vacation and then I'm going to jump right back into it. And I made one new video, which was pretty well received. I did a, just kind of a gear breakdown video of new stuff that I'm carrying for the new hiking season. Um, but that was four weeks ago and I haven't even picked up a camera or, or, had any ideas or anything since then. And you attribute that essentially to being in the middle of a depressive episode. Definitely. Yeah. And depressive episodes are interesting. And I know this is something you'll be able to relate to. And, and probably a lot of people listening can relate to. Um, when you're in the midst of a depressive episode, you, you know, the thing you have to do to feel better. Right. You know what it is. Like, I know that if I go out and go hiking, I'm going to immediately feel better. Yeah, but it somehow feels like the hardest thing to access in the whole wide world. It's the, you cannot find the motivation. You can't find the drive. Like, like I know if I threw some stuff in my bag today and went up into the mountains, I would feel immediately better. But right. the idea of, of picking the stuff to put into my bag just sounds so overwhelming. Totally. And like, it's not even just something as let's call it hard as putting some stuff in your bag and going to a trail and walking on a trail for however long. Right. It's like sometimes taking a shower, uh, eating food that is reasonably nutritious. Like for me, I, I literally will just stop doing anything that is like self care. I will only do the things that are required of me. So like, I won't miss work. I won't uh, miss a, 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 like a family event, but if I can cancel a social event, I will cancel it. And if I cannot do the thing that takes care of me, 
then I will not do it. And it's not conscious at all. Sometimes it'll be like a couple of days and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I guess I should probably change my pants. <laughs> um, is Does it kind of like drop down the chain for you in that way or does it sort of stop oh, at hiking? No, it definitely does. Like, um, like I, I love my band. I love rehearsing with my band. I love playing shows with my band. But like the last three or four practices, um, you know, before we actually all show up to the to the rehearsal space and start in the back of my head, I'm like, God, I just I really hope someone cancels. Like I hope just I just hope somebody something comes up with somebody's kid or or something happens and I don't have to leave the house. And it's not about not wanting to practice. It's it's literally about not wanting to leave the house. Yeah, and not having to do anything that expends extra energy and not do the thing that used to bring you joy. Because, like, my experience, at least, is that, like, I do feel better when I go out and do those things, but it doesn't feel, like, as joyful as, like, I want it to feel or something. Like, it's missing this, like, vibrancy. And I'm like, well, fuck it. If I can't have all of it, then I want none of it. I guess I'm just going to stay at home and continue to do what open one of four apps on my phone or one of four, you know, websites on my computer and, you know, kind of just run circles around myself, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's such a weird, it's a hard thing to put into words. And I, and I think it's such an easy thing for people who've never experienced it to criticize, you know, because it's just like, oh, just fuck, just go, just go on the hike. How hard is that? Just put the stuff in the, you have all the stuff, just go. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, that's the part that's hard. Like, like if, if my bag magically packed itself, I could just go because I could just grab it. And then, but it's just the idea. It's just finding the will, you know, the motivation to take the first step. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And like, I think that these can be triggered by many different things. For me, in the last little bit, it's been triggered triggered by a, a couple of things. It's been like some really challenging emotional stuff with uh, some loved ones, uh, specifically family, and and like just being, uh, just being like overworked and like that is that is really what has like kind of like chucked me into a funk right because like the overwork makes me exhausted and then i don't process what i'm going through with the emotions with family and then i'm like well you know f it i'm just gonna stay here like what's the point of doing anything anyways and like it kind of turns into a catastrophizing situation and like for for you it was it seems like at least one of the triggers was you know having this go viral and having all these like negative comments come at you and if I can just like segue a little bit to, to a podcast that I recently listened to. Um, yeah, definitely. So uh, it was a Brunel, Brene Brown podcast called unlocking us. And he was, or sorry, she was uh, interviewing a person named uh, Emmanuel Acho, who's like, was an NFL player and like was known and then wrote this uncomfortable conversations with a black man in 2020 and went super, super, uh, I want to say like he went viral, right? Like all of a sudden he was like asked to do all these things. Oprah's calling his house, whatever else. And 
you said like a, a really interesting thing when we were talking off air and that was like, you know, there are some negative comments, but the more views you get, the more people who like come to your page, the more you get, right? So the volume goes up. And for me, like I've had a reasonable media presence, sometimes more, sometimes less over the last couple of years, uh, like 10 years or plus. And that's absolutely true. Like the the more the more positive I, I do, the more positive media I do, the more people notice what I'm doing, which should be really good, the more negativity and trolls I get. And sometimes people say stupid stuff, right? And I look at it and I'm like, you're saying something that I just think is silly. And other times people say things that are really hurtful and like attack me personally, attack things that I'm doing that I might feel kind of vulnerable or shaky about doing. Um, and it's affected me negatively many, many times. And I always feel really silly about that. Like it's the internet and it's a stranger and it shouldn't matter. And it doesn't technically, right? But we're social creatures. It fucking hurts. And they got to this conversation, right? Two very much more famous people than I will probably ever be, right? And they had this like 15 minute conversation about how sometimes comments will just gut them and put you down for a week or more or have you just shut everything down or just feel terrible about yourself, affects your confidence. And all of a sudden it like, it, it, it like hit me. I was like, we are social creatures and we're literally, our brains are programmed to care what people say and think about us. And maybe that's silly in, in the current modern world where we're all independent. We don't necessarily like need every single person we talk to, but like, that's how we're programmed. And sometimes it can physically hurt. And just listening to these two very, very famous people be like, yeah, it fucking hurts. It just somehow made it feel a little bit more like, okay, okay, maybe it just always hurts for all of us. And we just don't talk about it because it feels embarrassing, you know? Yeah, it does. I mean, and that's the thing, like, even even coming into this conversation with you today, I wasn't 100% sure. Like, I, uh, we had talked a couple days ago about this being the topic for the, for the return show. And, uh, like, this morning, I was just like, oh, maybe maybe we should talk about something else. This is weird. Like we're going to get shitty comments about this, you know, like some, right. some phony alpha male jerk is going to pop in and, you know, have some bad mental health advice. But then it, <laughs> I, I feel like this stuff doesn't get talked about enough. And I think, especially in the circles you and I run in, you know, cause there is kind of a very like macho overtone to backpacking and to weightlifting and, and to strength training and, and the outdoors in general. And so I think this specific topic just gets brushed aside more often than not, because it's like, you know, you, you don't want to sound weak or, you know what I mean? And that to me, like that, not talking about it is way more silly than, than doing an episode about it. Oh my God. Absolutely. But like, this is something I've thought a lot about when it comes to, uh, being in a depressive episode, which occasionally does happen to me, being uh, anxious, which I certainly have lived with my whole life, um, and and various other mental health stuff. It's it's not just the perception of weakness, which can uh, intersect with identity politics, right? Like I am a small femme 
uh, female identifying person who's in the strength industry, right? Like I'm trying to claw back any amount of toughness that I can get you to see me as in my like all pink outfit um, (laughs) and like giant lashes like that I can get because like that can sometimes equal respect, which is a direct uh, impact on my professional life and, and personal life, right? So like there's the toughness aspect, but there's also the fact that you can fucking expect someone's going to attack you. And if you are vulnerable and somebody attacks you, it's worse. So like, what if this episode about us being vulnerable about mental health uh, ups and downs, it, it goes big. And then we have lots of people commenting about what, you know, all of a sudden people are going to make shitty comments about mental health, what we should have done, what we shouldn't have done, that we said something wrong, that we're wrong in some way. And like, I don't, I don't want someone to micromanage my depressive fucking episode. Like, I just want to talk about the fact that like, sometimes shit is really hard and way harder than other times. And that's okay. We just work through it, you know? Yeah. It's just, I think, I think for me, just because I have such a negative impression of TikTok specifically, it's weird to me that something that happened on an app that I have very little respect for hit me so hard. And you know what I mean? It was just like, it was such a weird thing to get. And it's such a, it's such a strange breakdown because you'll get hundreds of positive comments. You'll get hundreds of people saying, Oh yeah, thank you. I have to carry trekking poles because of weight issues, or I have to carry trekking poles because I, you know, I had a sciatic nerve issue or whatever, whatever, you know, some health reason they had to carry, they had to use trekking poles when they were hiking and, you know, they had negative experience with other people on the trail that, you know, commenting about their poles or whatever, uh, or they, you know, negative experience with somebody commenting about their pack weight. Oh, your, your pack's too heavy. Ugh. You know, whatever stupid thing people complain about. And, uh, I'll get hundreds of those kind of messages where it's just like, oh, thanks, you know, this really helped me. I'm glad somebody's talking about this. I'm glad somebody said it. And then I'll get one person who's just like, if you can't hike without trekking poles, don't fucking hike. And I was like, man, you know what? You just fucking ruined everything. Like, fuck you. Right. It's such a weird, I don't know why it bugs me. It shouldn't bug me. Like my rational brain tells me this is just some stranger on the internet who I'm never going to encounter. But my heart and and my empathy are just like, fuck man, fuck you. Right. And there's like an added thing. I'm sure like, cause you said empathy, like there's the added thing that you're like, fuck you for attacking the people who need fucking trekking poles. Right. Right. And like, you like have like, uh, or sorry, I shouldn't project. Like I, I have like a protective instinct, right? Like as soon as you said that, I thought about the fact that I bought my mom some trekking poles for Christmas so that she could continue to hike because of aforementioned sciatica issues and just being you know a nearly 70 year old woman who wants to go outside and do stuff like i didn't know that that was looked down upon and i think that's absolutely absurd like i was thinking about getting trekking poles for when it's like really windy on ridge lines to just not fall off like and i am a perfectly capable individual right um but there's there's that but there's also the fact that our psychological response is is actually rooted in like a little bit of a deeper thing, right? So like I mentioned that we're like social creatures that sometimes physically hurts when we uh, when we encounter judgment, which which is literally true. The way that your brain f- f- uh, interprets pain is through your emotion centers. Um, 
But there's also the fact that like, if, uh, like, if you interpret, if you like absorb, if you absorb 10 positive comments, that's awesome. But in, in like, in, in the world where you could die from one negative thing that you encounter, your brain interprets that as more important, right? Because a negative thing could be something that has more ramifications. So we have a psychological uh, tilt towards really prioritizing the negative, which is why you can have one thing happen in a day and it ruins your whole freaking day, right? And like, I think that we have the same thing with psychological response to shitty people online. That's interesting. I, I never really looked at it that way. That's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. That's something worth looking into, I think, because that's, uh, <laughs> it, it's always so weird to me because you're like, and, and circling back to what you said about the protective aspect of it, like, absolutely. Like if somebody saw something that I put out into the world, whether, whether it be on, Instagram or YouTube or whatever. And that resonated with them because it tied into a personal struggle. Like if anything I've ever said or, or filmed or done can like help someone. That's amazing. Like think the power of that, like, like to be able to put something out into the world and, and somebody else watches it and they're like, well, I, now I feel better about this aspect of my life because I saw this thing. That's incredible. And if you turn around and say something shitty to this person who I just helped, we're going to have an issue. We're going to have some problems. And yeah, there's, there is definitely that aspect of protecting the people who my content resonates with. Absolutely. And, and that I think is the, the, the best response that could exist, right? Like we should feel that way. Like if you affect somebody and, and, and that, that gets fucked up in some way or somebody attacks them, like we should feel protective of the people who are in our community and in the internet world, those are followers and people you follow and people who interact with you, right? Like it's a loose knit community, but it is there. And I think that that's a really healthy response, but so how do you, how do you dig your way out? I guess I just want to like, how, how do we, how do we get back out of this dark hole that sometimes happens? That's a, that's such a good question. And I don't have a good answer. Um, typically what I'll do is I'll, I'll force myself to do the thing that I know will help. Like, like if I know going on a hike is going to help me, even if I can't find the motivation to plan the hike and pack for the hike, I'll just make myself do it. Um, and sometimes those aren't my favorite hikes. Like sometimes I'll, I'll get out in the middle of the woods and be like, I don't know. I'd rather just be home, but you know, given, given enough time and, and effort in that environment, I, I, I'm able to turn it around, but sometimes like I'll get to the trailhead and just be like, no, still don't, still don't want to do this. <laughs> Even though I know it's the one thing that I do truly and deeply want to do. Of course. And like, I'm definitely the exact same way. And the, and like two techniques that I use to kind of get to that point. One is uh, find an external source of motivation. And that can be anything. I just got puppies. So I have a strong motivation to go walk on a trail so that they will seriously stop 
being puppies for a second and rest. <laughs> um, so like that can help. Um, however healthy this is, sometimes I'll be like, well, I should get enough steps in for the day. I should have like a baseline physical response. And I'll be like, okay, I'll go on that trail. So that's like, find an external thing. Cause when I feel like when I'm in a depressive episode, like I don't value myself enough to do something for myself. I can't be like, it's important for your, you know, own happiness, Holly, within your own head, like to go do this thing, you know, it'll make you feel better. Go do the thing that's going to make you feel better. Sometimes I'm like, who cares? Like if I feel better, what does it matter if I feel better? I'm just going to stay here. It's fine. I don't need to feel better. Um, so an external source of motivation can really help me. And then uh, finding something that is uh, reliable or familiar can help me too. So I have a couple of trails around here in the hills that are within 15 to 20 minutes of my house. I know the trail. I know exactly how much time it's going to take. I know what my experience is going to be. And that familiarity can sometimes make it a little bit more comforting to go and do. And I, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I get to the trail and I sit in my car and you know, doom scroll for 20 minutes. And then I like feel hurried. And so I do half the trail and then I go, oh man, I'm just going to be late, which is a lie. And then I turn around and I don't do the whole hike. But the fact of the matter is that I did get out and I did do something and I do feel better afterwards. And like you said, it's kind of sometimes chipping away at it. The next time I'll go all the way around that loop. The next time I'll go to a new trail. Who knows? Yeah, those, I mean, the, uh, Going, going back to the, you know, you were talking about kind of the, a less self-centered reason, I guess. I, I, I forget now how you phrased it, but. Um, external motivation. External motivation. That's the, the words I was looking for. So circling back to your external motivation comment, um, definitely like my dog Kiki, you know, she is much calmer and, and much more easy to manage when we've been on a long hike. She's, you know, she's a two-year-old Husky Shepherd mix. So she's just like 99% energy. She's just turned up to 11 all the time. <laughs> so that's definitely something. But even with that, like, how, how do you, how do you keep yourself from talking yourself out of relying even on, on those two strategies? So that one's hard. Cause like I, this is, this is individual and I don't want to put this on other people or imply that you need to be this way. But like, for me, once I decide to do something, I'm going to do it. It's the deciding to do it. So like, I will talk shit to myself the whole time, but I will still go outside, get in my car, open the gate, close the gate, drive to the place and do the damn thing. Even if it's half-assed, even if it's shitty, even if I, you know, I'm bummed about it the whole time. I'm still going to do it. And like, it's the deciding to do it and not deciding to, you know, just walk on the treadmill and watch a stupid Netflix show to, you know, get some movement in because that's important for some reason that I don't care about. Like, it's just the deciding. It's the deciding to do it. Once I decide, then that's good. Getting to the point of that decision, I think is probably a more, uh, reasonable response to that question. And like, I don't know. I don't know. I think I just, I just do, but like, I'll, I'll admit that sometimes it takes like a week to actually do. Interesting. Yeah. See, that's, that's the part that I struggle with I, and I haven't found a good answer and you're right. It's, it's such a personal thing. Everybody's response to a depressive episode is different. 
And what right. works for you isn't necessarily going to work for me, isn't necessarily going to work for the next person. And right. I think that's where my struggle is right now in, in trying to pull myself out of this is finding finding that answer. Like, did, I, I, I so often talk myself out of, like, I'll, I'll decide, okay, so tomorrow morning I'm going to pack up my backpack and I'm going to go on this hike. And then tomorrow morning rolls around and I'm like, eh, I'll go later. I'll go later. I'll go. And then later, and then all of a sudden it's the evening and you're like, well, I can't go now. It's too late. Right. I'll go tomorrow. And then tomorrow rolls around. It's that same, that same routine of talking myself out of it. So I haven't found, I haven't found a consistent way to follow through on those decisions. Right. So I think, I think there's like, there's value even in toxic things. And I grew up in a family that had, like most families, some toxic aspects to it. And one of them is that like, my family was very tough. It was like, you just do the thing no matter what. It doesn't matter how you feel. How you feel basically doesn't matter at all, kind of in a continuing fashion. And so like, I think that that's why sometimes I'm able to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing because it doesn't matter how I feel. And I, I guess like, I don't, I'm not saying that because it feels like a negative thing to say, but that is the truth. The other thing for me is that, uh, and this is, this is quite dark. So trigger warning for anybody who has dealt with, uh, suicidal things. Um, I have a history of dealing with that and fortunately not as much anymore, but it, it has like kind of, cemented this thing in my brain where I, I get to this point where I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal. Are you going to die right now? Is that where you're at right now? And I'll be like, well, no. And I'll be like, okay, well then keep living because those are the two choices. You can either give up now, not you listener, please don't hear that that way. But like, let's talking to myself, I can give up now or I can live. And the answer has been every single time I've asked myself that, okay, Okay, I'm gonna live then. What does that mean? That means going on this fucking hike and going outside and taking a breath of fresh air and listening to a freaking bird chirp about some stupid stuff for my stupid mental health. (laughs) And, and like, somehow that's empowering to me because like, especially when I'm in a depressive episode, unlike some people, because it manifests differently for everybody else. I I don't feel suicidal. So it's an easy thing to ask myself. So again, please be careful with that statement. Please, please, please be careful with that statement. But for me personally, it turns into an empowering thing where I choose to live. I think family history has a lot to do with it too, because I grew up in a family that was very closed off and very, you know, emotions were, were no, no, you didn't talk about those. You didn't talk about when you were sad, you didn't, um, you just didn't talk about any of that. Like, I don't recall a time in, in my young life where I saw my parents show affection towards each other at all. And, and so like in my family, emotions were, were very taboo, good or bad. It was just a thing that you didn't discuss. And as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know, how toxic and, and broken, that idea is like, of course you need to talk about your emotions. Of course you need to, to express these things, you know, otherwise it just, it just eats you alive. And so it's a struggle for me, I think to overcome the way I was raised and 
you know, open up and, and talk more honestly about these kinds of things because it was always such a, such a frowned upon activity as a, as a kid. So I try really hard to be as open and honest with my emotional state as I can. And largely in hopes that, that it'll help somebody else. Like if somebody out there listening to this, um, gets any value from, you know, even if it's just as simple as, Oh, I'm not the only person that feels this way. Um, I think that's a, a pretty remarkable thing and, and absolutely worth the price of admission for us to sit down and make this episode. Yeah. And like, I, I, I wanted to come into this with some kind of like really PMA. Yeah. You got this kind of vibe. And like, I think, I think sometimes just putting one foot in front of the other is, is also a win. Right. I think like just getting through the day is sometimes a win and that that is, that is also important. Right. So like, it isn't necessarily a loss if you didn't go out and do the thing that brings you joy or makes you feel a little bit better today, but like chipping away at it and getting closer has value too. And I'm not sure that that's the kind of like gung ho woo woo. We all got this uh, vibe I wanted to come with, but like, I think it's a lot more honest and it's a lot more accurate. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the harsh reality of it is sometimes we don't have it like, Sometimes you don't got this and that's okay too. Like that doesn't, that's a temporary state of being. Um, I, I think, I think a lot about the concept of like toxic positivity because there, there are so many people who are just like, Oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and yeah, tomorrow's another day and you got this. But for some of us, like tomorrow's another fucking shitty day. <laughs> sure. Tomorrow's coming, but fuck what's going to happen to me then. Um, and I, I think, I think that level of like hyper positivity can be really harmful to a lot of people because it, in a in a broad sense, it invalidates what the person's feeling. Like if you're feeling like the whole world is crashing down around you and somebody's coming in with the pom-poms going, no, it's not. Everything's awesome. Just wait till tomorrow. And you're like, yeah, but fucking like. Like my house is on fire and I'm not doing anything about it. So it's still going to be on fire <laughs> tomorrow. Like that's not going to fucking change. Um, so while I, I appreciate people who maintain kind of that PMA and that posy attitude, I think at the same time, like you have to give space for people just to be sad. Like you can't, you can't expect everyone just to like brush it off their shoulder and, and, uh, and cruise on through their day. Like everything's, hunky-dory totally and like i think i diverge and and i don't know if i diverge from you but i diverge from many people and saying that like a lot of things don't work for me and so those things that don't work for me i don't call them bad i just don't engage with them and so like i think that the like you got this pom-poms thing works for some people and if that works for them and it pulls them out of it hell yeah and that doesn't work for you shut it down and push it out of your reality and like find the things that work for you and in this world where we have access to all these different content creators some of them are going to be really damaging and attacking them for that or like whatever that's not the answer. The answer is find the people that are putting out content that like makes you feel like, you know what? 
I am going to take a shower today. I am worth taking a shower. I am going outside. I'm going to do that thing that is going to pull me up a little bit today. Or honestly, even just (sighs) other people go through that, huh? Okay. That's enough. Yeah. And I think that that part of it is why conversations like this are so important because I know for me, I mean, I'm, I'm quickly approaching 50. And so I come from a generation of people who didn't talk about this kind of stuff, who weren't open about this kind of stuff. And I'm at an age now where unfortunately I go, you know, to more funerals than I do birthday parties. And a lot of it is, people who left us because they felt shitty all the time and it's so hard you know to to watch that happen to someone and 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 be helpless and uh it's i i I just think just that concept that you're you're literally not in this alone you'd like and that's not to say like you should you should feel great because you're not alone. It's just like you should feel solidarity because there are other people out there who feel just as bad as you do. And we can help each other. We can talk about this. We can be more open about this. We can be honest about these kinds of feelings. And I think just knowing like for me, and again, this it's it's such a personal thing like what 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 feels okay for me and what feels comfortable and safe for me isn't going to be the same thing that feels comfortable and safe for everybody else but for me personally knowing other people feel the same way i do is oddly empowering yeah i i feel that way too and like two things first one i am going on my seventh year of consistent therapy And that has helped me a lot. And I feel really strongly about normalizing therapy. Like if we all have a doctor, if um, you have a general practitioner that you go to for checkups, um, your brain, it's also important. It's important to have its own doctor for checkups. Uh, If you break your leg and you go to the emergency room and you splint it, if you're going through a gnarly depressive episode because some gnarly stuff has happened in your life, isn't that just the emotional and brain aspect of breaking your leg? Shouldn't it be just as acceptable to go to somebody to fix that and help you fix that? And like, so I think therapy has a myriad of issues. There's a just, there's a lack of therapists. There's a lack of funding. The system is completely broken in terms of accessibility. So like, I know I come from a place of privilege being able to pay out of pocket because even my insurance won't cover it. Um, but like it, it, it has helped me so much. And the, the concept that I can say, oh yeah, I broke my leg last week and I went to the doctor and they fixed my leg, but I'm not supposed to be like, oh yeah, somebody said something shitty to me and it fucked with my head. And so I had to talk to my therapist about it. Those are things that are perceived two different ways. It's just totally right. not okay in my opinion. No, I agree. And I, I, uh, I, I need to look into getting back into therapy. I, I had a therapist for a long time after my accident and it really helped. Like it really did like talking through, you know, my, my feelings surrounding the near death experience and all that. Um, and then kind of once I was past that episode, I just sort of tuned out of therapy. And I think that, I think, I think that has a lot to do with my upbringing. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, 
you know, nobody in my family would publicly publicly admit that they went to a therapist. Like that's just no, that's the either. worst thing ever. Like they people in my family bragged about going to jail, but would never tell you they went to a therapist. Did we come from the same family? <laughs> I think we came from pretty similar families. <laughs> but uh, so that's something. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm a proponent of therapy, too. Uh, and again, I recognize that that I come from a place of privilege where I can afford to go to a therapist. There's so, so many issues with accessibility to good mental health care in this country. Like it's we could do we could do an entire series of episodes just on on that subject alone. Um, and so it's it, it's easy for me to say, oh, I'm just going to go find a therapist and get signed up. And I am fully aware that it's not that easy for, for everyone. But I do think that that's something I need to do. Yeah. And like, uh, in terms of like, if, if you're listening and, and you either have never experienced any kind of depressive episode or uh, you you have and you're not currently, I think it's important to uh, reach out to people who you want to check in on because there's this narrative in our culture like just reach out call us call this hotline call a friend call a family you're not alone and people put up these posts that are like you're not alone reach out to me if you need and i always have this this drive to say like reach out to me if you need and like that is freaking true but like when you're in that place mentally the likelihood you're going to reach out, especially to a source that is unfamiliar, is actually pretty freaking low. And it's so... Like near zero. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I never uh, have. And like, to be honest with you, I've had some really negative experience with, with reaching out where where in, in times of, of, of darkness, I've been like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do the thing I'm supposed to do. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to tell people where I'm at. I'm not going to hide in the darkness. I'm not going to just not respond to text messages or calls or whatever. I'm going to reach out. And then people are crappy to you. And that can be even worse, right? So like, I think if you're in a good place, check on your fucking friends, check on your family, create safe space so that, you know, how are you? And if they seem like they're not okay, show up hold space, be there. And I think that that's a better way of looking at support systems than expecting somebody in a bad place to reach out. If you're in a good place, reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, that, as much as I appreciate the sentiment of that idea, it definitely puts another burden on someone who's already feeling burdened. And it's it's easy to to write this stuff off, you know. I'm sure somebody out there right now listening to this is just like, oh, you got upset about something on social media, but I mean that was like the final tipping point, you know. I, I was also going through some struggles with my place of employment. I was going through, you know, and I, I don't want to get too far I mean, down that rabbit it's hole. Never, it's never just one thing, right? Like it, it never is, but it's the one thing that is the final push is the thing you focus on. Of course. So maybe, you know, maybe getting all these negative comments on the internet wasn't the absolute catalyst for going into the dis depressive episode, but it was like the final straw. It was just like all this stuff piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. But now I got to deal with you motherfuckers. Fuck <laughs> this. I'm done. I'm checking out. And uh, it's, it's weird to me. Like it, it 
I understand why I let go of the TikTok thing. Like that, I get that. I don't understand how it affected everything else. Like I, I stopped posting to Instagram. I stopped posting to YouTube. We we haven't done an episode of this podcast in a while. And like like pushing TikTok aside makes sense to me because that was where all the negative shit was coming from. But I don't understand how my brain made the connection to like literally everything else. See, that makes total sense to me, honestly. Like, first of all, you said that you had some of those trolls also trickle down to your other accounts. And second of all, to me, it's it's all sort of ubiquitous, right? Like, it's all social media in different forms. And like, I personally uh, had some really negative social media experiences in 2020. And I, I, I throttled down my 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 exposure to all of it aggressively. And I'm only now coming out of that. It took me a long time to feel like social media could be a place. I don't want to say that is safe because it is not. It is, it is absolutely not, but, (laughs) but like it, it is a place that you can do a lot of good and you can reach a lot of people. And it is something that has like benefited my life in a myriad of ways for a myriad of years. And like, I love that aspect of it. And I love many aspects of it, but like, if 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 I get if I get hurt doing something, coming back to any part of that thing is really challenging. So like I don't know. I guess for me it makes total sense. Like putting yourself out there felt shitty for a while, and maybe still does. Yeah, and I think that I think that's the biggest part of it. I feel like there's a lot of content creators whose whose goal is to put negativity out in the world. And so when they get that negative feedback, they're like, yes, this is the thing. I'm winning. My goal has consistently been to put positivity out into the world. Like, I want to try to help people. I want to make people better hikers. I want to make people better backpackers. I want to make people first-time backpackers. Like, that's been my goal with everything from from the second that I started doing any social media regarding... Uh, my activities outdoors, my goal was to to either help people who already exist in this space or invite new people to, to join us. And so it's to, to get the amount of negative pushback I got was kind of stunning. And I know that as their number of views goes up, the number of shitty people you're going to encounter goes up. I think the percentage of shitty people stays the same. Like, I I think there's like, you know, less than 1% of the people that are terrible people. But if you're dealing with a hundred people and less than 1% of those are terrible people, that's pretty manageable. If you're dealing with millions of people, that, that can become a pretty significant chunk of your time is dealing with these negative comments and hurtful comments. Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, in this podcast that I was listening to, uh, the, the person who was being interviewed, uh, Acho, he, he said, you know, one thing that really helped him was he was reading this other article and it said that, uh, 80% of Yelp reviews are written by people who had negative experiences. So most people who have a positive experience with something don't write anything. But when you have a bad experience, 
then you write it, right? And so like the percentage is highly skewed. So I guess maybe the answer on social media might be if you see something you like, actually write a freaking comment so that it actually is everybody commenting on these things and everybody like putting in their two cents because maybe that'll help. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's something that I've always tried to do. Like if somebody, if I see a post that really resonates with me, I definitely make sure to comment or, or share it or, you know, do whatever the thing you do that's appropriate to the, to the app. But um, I, I think there's some, some real value in that idea that, cause it, it's true. Like if you look on Yelp or any of the restaurant review sites, very few you might get like five stars. This place is great. But the negative right. reviews are like 30 paragraphs. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, you know, somebody comes in there and writes an essay about everything that went wrong. But if something goes right, we, we expect things to go right. right. We, expect, we expect if we go to a restaurant that we're going to have a good experience. We expect that if we go to a coffee shop, we're going to have a good experience. And so I think when you have that kind of negative experience, you're more inclined to vocalize it because it's unexpected. Right. Also, just a little plug in here. Uh, as, a, as a business owner, man, that shit is awesome when I see positive stuff. So like, if you have a positive experience, write about it. I'm speaking to myself and also others. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to, before we kind of close out this conversation, I wanted to say that there's two things that uh, that help me personally stay out of the hole, right? Because like we've talked about like, how do you deal with it? How do you cope with it? How do you move through it? And maybe how do you get out of it? Um, hopefully we threw enough in that basket, but like uh, two things. And one of them always gets called out for toxic positivity. And that's that's fine. If you think this, this, that's, this is it, then that's fine but it does change your literal way that your brain works. And that's finding some shit you're grateful for. And like, I am not kidding. The amount of days that I've been like, uh, I'm grateful for coffee. And uh, I'm literate. That's cool. And uh, water, clean water comes out of my fountain at, at home. That's good. Okay, cool. I'm done with the stupid gratitudes now. But it literally does help anchor me and it does make me feel better. See, I don't think that that qualifies as toxic positivity. I Because I, that's that's an active thing that you're doing for yourself. Right. And and it's, it's validating for, to you personally. So that's an action you've taken that validates your feelings. In my, in my headspace, toxic positivity are the people who who have either a never experienced a depressive episode who who've never struggled with anxiety or, or darkness in, in general who come in and go, Oh, but my life's awesome. So that means literally everyone else's life is awesome. You know? It, oh God, it, I hate that. <laughs> and so to me, that's toxic positivity is when somebody's like, and you know what? If your life is constantly awesome, fuck, that's great. I am so happy for you, but shut the fuck up. (laughs) I think it's fantastic that everything in your world is perfect. But if you come across somebody who doesn't have that same experience and you're unable to empathize with their experience, just don't say anything. 
to them. No. Yeah. And like, like just and like like if you and your best friend have never had anything bad happen, and you two want to sit down and chat about how fucking awesome everything is, do it up. Like have <laughs> that conversation. That's awesome. But if you're coming from a place where nothing bad has ever happened, and you run into somebody who's really really struggling, your your options are be quiet or empathize. You know, and you don't have to. You don't have to understand someone's situation to be empathetic. I mean, you can literally say, like, I have no idea how that feels, but I'm sorry you feel that way. Wait, can I interject here? Because I think that this is a, as this is like a kind of an important thing, because there's, there's people who, who don't feel fucked up and like, what's that like? Um, <laughs> I, can't, I like, can't even imagine that. I can't imagine my head not ever feeling fucked up, but that's okay. That's fine. But like, uh, repeating the things that people say back to them is a good technique. Uh, okay. So I hear that you're going through a place that feels really dark and you don't really feel that valuable. And so you're kind of feeling listless and dark and dark. That, that sounds hard. You, you can just sort of like parrot things back to people and, and, and hear them sometimes just being heard and being with somebody and not having somebody act any way judgmental is it might even be better than giving advice or, uh, or, or, or anything else. Right. Like I think there is, uh, there is looking down into a dark well and saying, I see that you're dark down there. That sounds fucked up. And then there's putting, uh, putting your arm down into this dark well and saying like, that sounds really fucked up. I hear you. Do, do you want support? Cause I'm here and like that can be enough sometimes. So sometimes don't give advice if you don't know. Well, and I know, and again, this is my own personal experience. I'm not trying to put this on anybody else, but for me, when I'm in that hole, I'm not necessarily looking for advice. I'm not necessarily looking for someone to, to, tell me what to do to get out of it. I just want somebody to hear me say I'm in the hole. Right. And that's enough. Right. And I have a friend who, uh, he's not great at talking through challenging situations. Um, but what he says in response is always some version of, um, I hear you. I love you. I'm here. And like, yeah, and I, that's that, it. <laughs> that's perfect like and 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 i cannot stress this point enough like you don't have to understand someone's struggle to empathize with their struggle right you don't have to you don't have to understand you don't have to have experienced that level of of struggle you don't have to have have been in that dark hole to be able to recognize that oh okay you're hurting and i'm here for you even though right. I don't understand what you're going through, even and because the last thing that somebody wants to hear when they're struggling is just like, "Whoa, well, I've never struggled, so just be more like me." Well, get, get, <laughs> get completely fucked, like fuck all the way off as far as you can fuck off, and then fuck off a little bit more. Like, like sorry, you're hella broken and life is shitty. It's not that way over here, motherfucker. Bye. Like right, <laughs> and no one, no one wants to hear that. Um. And that's the only time in this conversation that I will make a blanket statement and, and a general occasion. <laughs> Literally, no one wants to hear how awesome things are for you 
when they're when they're and when they're in a fucked up place. When they're in a fucked up place, and it's not and it's not like a selfish thing. It's just like, and I think there's different ways to approach it too. Like, like if somebody, if if I were feeling bad and somebody who came to me and they didn't understand those feelings, and they were just like, I've literally never felt that way, but I'm sorry you're feeling that way. Right. That's that's an perfectly acceptable and oftentimes really helpful way to approach it. But just to, to come into somebody and go, well, I've never felt that way. So just be like me. <laughs> if I can do that. I would like, it's not like, not like some light bulb's going to pop on over my head going, Oh fuck. I never even thought about that. Like I'll just be I never thought about me. just feeling awesome. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just stop being me completely. Um, and so I, I think there's ways to approach it. Like if you've never struggled, if you've never been into a dark spot, you can still be a support system for somebody who, who is struggling. You just have to approach it with like true and honest empathy. Right. And a lot of times that just looks like, yo, I don't understand this, but I'm here for you. Uh, I, I have no idea what to say to you in this situation, but I'll listen to you. And Nine times out of ten, when I'm feeling like shit, when I'm feeling down, when I'm beating myself up, when I'm when I'm over and over telling myself what a terrible person I am and how I should just quit doing all the things that I do, all I want is for somebody just to sit and just go, I hear you. I don't want to hear how they got out of it. I don't want to hear how they've never been in it. I don't want to hear – I just want somebody to go, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And that listening is such a valuable tool in, in helping. Right. And you can also do things like, um, you can ask, you can be like, what makes you feel better? Is there anything that you could do to make you feel better? So yeah, I love you. I hear you. I, or I care about you. Maybe you don't love that person. Like I, I care about you. I'm here with you. I'm listening to you. You hold value in the space that I'm holding for you. And it sucks that you feel that way. There you go. Fucking toolkit, one-on-one, how to show up for somebody. <laughs> you know, there's more advanced techniques, but like, uh, um, oh, but I wanted to circle back to the gratitude thing. So so not only do I, I do that, but I actually like, I tried to build a culture around me that kind of forces me to do that. So this, these are not examples that are going to be accessible to other people, but maybe you can find ways to implement this in your life. Um, I have a, uh, zoom workout, uh, two to three times a week with my family. Um, and I decided that it would make people mentally more resilient if they, um, had a gratitude practice in their life. So I kind of forced it upon them. And at the end of workouts, we all say three things that we're grateful for. And like, the amount of pedestrian that these gratitudes are is amazing. Like, it's like, I'm really grateful that there's uh, flowers on the tree outside of my window. And uh, I'm really glad that I have a car that starts on a regular basis. And uh, hey, look, I'm still breathing. Grateful for that. That's fantastic. Um, And like, one, it made me realize that like, you don't have to come up with some fucking whole grandiose, uh, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow-esque, like, wellness speech (laughs) about gratitude. You could just be grateful that, like, you have a safe place to sleep tonight or you have feet because it means you could walk. Like, that's fine. Um, And building that into my life means that every Thursday and Friday, as it stands right now, 
I have to say three things that I'm grateful for. And I have to say them in front of a group of people who I care about. And so I try to think about it ahead of time. And that thinking about it ahead of time and building it into my life means that I anchor myself on something positive at least once or twice a week. And that has helped me a lot. And, and the other technique that's helped me a lot is um, realizing that there are tasks that are easily uh, accomplished. Uh, so, okay, uh, I can't bring myself to go on a trail or get in my car or take a shower. I'm going to make my bed. And you make your bed and then you're like, I did a thing. And sometimes that, that can chip you away back to back, back into your not dark brain. Let's call it that. I like that. I, that's a good, uh, I think that's a good starting point. And it's, it's, it is something that almost everybody could attain. You know, again, I don't want to make too many generalizations in this conversation because my, my dark space may not be as dark as somebody else's dark space. But I do think that those little things like, okay, I've, I've made my bed, I've, I folded my laundry, whatever the tiny little task is, can be affirming, you know, and you're like, okay, I can accomplish something. Right. Um, well, I, this has been a good conversation. I'm glad we did this. Normally, we start every episode with what we have been up to. Like, what, oh, yeah, what did we just we do? skipped that. What, what did we do, you know, in between the last time we spoke, and in between the last time we recorded, what did we do? Um, and honestly, I haven't been doing anything. So I would like to end this episode, if it's cool with you, with what are we looking forward to? What What's coming up next for us? Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You haven't done nothing. You've done a bunch of home improvement things. Well... I wrote a bunch of checks and watched a bunch of other people do stuff. Yeah, but things got done. You moved things, forward. Things with did get projects. done. Things things did get done, but I didn't. I, I I played a very cursory role in in all of that. It was like literally like wrote checks, like other, uh, and a lot of it happened while I was at work. So it didn't even. It was just like I left, and the kitchen looked one way, and then I came home, and it looked completely different. It was kind of magical. <laughs> Uh, well, can, can I say one thing that I want to share that I, that I've been up to, but not going along long spiel about it? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I went to Florida for a weekend and, uh, I had both a dolphin and a manatee boot my paddleboard and it was amazing. And, uh, oh my God, manatees are so big and so hilariously, uh, amazing and cute and the silliest wildlife animal i've ever seen in my life i would be i would be so nervous that they would flip me over uh it did it did go under my board a little bit and i kind of like had to gently sort of like navigate my way through that but if it had just put me in the in the drink that would have been okay um i happened to i mean i was in florida the water was warm i didn't want to get thrown in the drink and i didn't but like it just came up next to me really slow they're not fast really slow and just like snarfled its little face up and like <laughs> they make the funniest little noises they like are are really loud and it just like 
looked up at me and like booped the side of my board a couple times with its nose and then went away. Uh, the dolphin actually just came up behind my board and I was wearing headphones that are noise canceling because I was just paddling along at sunrise and I heard something so loud. I pulled my headphones off because I thought I had like that something catastrophic had happened. And it turned out there was just dolphins coming up right behind my board and just gently hitting the back of it with their nose. <laughs> I don't know why, out. but yeah, sure. That's crazy. That's all. That sounds amazing. Um, all okay. Right. So things we're looking forward to go. Things we're looking forward to in about three weeks. I leave for the lost coast trail. Which yeah. Is, oh, I'm so excited. It, this has been a bucket list trip of mine since the very first time I heard about it. And for those that don't know, the Lost Coast Trail is, it's like a 30-ish mile section of trail right along the California coast. And it's the last like undeveloped piece of, of Northern California coastline. It's, um, you know, when you're, when you're driving down the one and you're like, oh, I'm by the ocean, I'm by the ocean. And then for like a long time, you're not by the ocean. You like, you go way inland. Of course. It's all like the that loop where the one goes around is where I'm hiking. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. It's it's going to present some pretty interesting challenges. I've had to get some um some different gear than I would normally carry because like we'll be dealing with, you know, some nights we'll be setting up our shelters on sand, some nights we'll be setting them up on normal like trail ground that everybody's used to. So I, I have to carry two different sets of tent stakes, depending on the situation we're in, which is, that's a really weird thing for me to carry double of something. Because I'm just like, I don't, why, why would I do that? I'll just carry the one. But everybody I've talked to who's hiked the trail, like you're going to need sand stakes for this part, but you're going to need like regular dirt stakes for this part. So I just, I finally broke down and I bought some like actual sand and snow stakes. So I'm going to be carrying two sets of stakes um, and then I had to get a pack liner, like an actual waterproof pack liner um, for two reasons. One, there's a couple of river crossings um, that may or may not go, you know, higher than like chest level. Um, and then it, there's the potential that it could just rain the entire time we're there. It's we're going in late April. Uh, you you live in California near the coast. So you're well aware of what the weather can be like in late April. Uh, I mean, I certainly hope it rains the whole time, not for you, but for our freaking state. <laughs> right. But it's like, um, but there's going to be, you know, we're going to have to be dealing with fog. We have to deal with tide zones, which is something there's, there's three sections of the trail that are, that are called like impassable zones. And you have to get there at a specific time based on the tide chart for the time frame that you're in there. So I have to carry this tide chart and we have to like, we have to like really, like I am so used to, hiking in the Sierras when it's just like, I'll, I'll wake up when I wake up. I'll start hiking when I start hiking. I'll stop when I'm tired. There's no rules. I'll do whatever I want. It's complete and total freedom. But like on this hike, it's like, yo, I have to be at this spot at this specific time so that I don't die when I'm <laughs> walking the next three miles. Because if the tide comes in and I'm in the middle of this impassable zone, then I'm just in the ocean. And so it, it's going to be a weird trip for me because I'm, I'm so used to not planning anything. Like I just throw stuff in a bag and I go out into the woods. And I know that sounds ridiculous and dangerous, 
but anybody who's done any kind of like long distance hiking will absolutely understand what I'm saying. Like you just throw your stuff in the bag. And as long as you have all the stuff you need to not die, literally nothing else matters. Like occasionally you might have to make it to a specific town to get your food pickup. But other than that, like you just do whatever you want all the time. And it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. But the ocean is a different thing as someone who like, if you think my voice sounds funny right now, it does because my whole face is messed up by the ocean all morning from surfing. Like the ocean is no joke and the ocean isn't in the Sierras. And now you're like doing a ocean adjacent whole adventure. Right. And like I say, there's like, so there's three sections where if the tide comes in, like if you time it wrong and you're in the middle, you're screwed. Yeah. It's not a good situation. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be like, we're gonna have to wake up at a specific time. We're gonna have to start hiking at a specific time. We're gonna have to maintain a specific pace. So it's going to be this weirdly regulated hike, which is something I am not accustomed to. Like my last PCT section hike one day I woke up at 5.30 and I hiked until 7. The next day I woke up at 11 and I just didn't hike. And it was <laughs> fine. And it didn't matter because I was in the Sierras. I'm like, I'll just, I'll do those miles tomorrow. It doesn't matter. But on this trip, like it definitely matters. Like if the tide, if low tide is at 11.34, I have to be at that exact spot at 11.34. So that I can be at the other end of it before the tide comes in. So it's going to be kind of wild. And then on top of that, we're going to be dealing with, so there are, there are bears there that wander around the coastline. Uh, There's poison oak, which is a thing I'm very rarely come in contact with. Um, And like seals. Like when in your life are you on a backpacking trip and you stumble, like there could legitimately be a spot. Where I'm like, yo, I have to get through this spot in the next 30 minutes. Oh, but there's a whole bunch of seals and they won't let me go. So, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting trip to see how that all plays out. And to see how well I adapt to a more regulated, like, scheduled hike. Because that is something that is so foreign to me. Um, And the other thing I'm not necessarily concerned about, but I'm conscious of, is like... The lows when we're out there are going to be in the mid to upper 30s, maybe even low 40s, which in my brain sounds like summer. Because if you're in the Sierras where it's dry all the time and there's no humidity at all, it's just completely arid and it's 40 degrees at night, I'm sleeping under the stars with just my bag. I don't even need a shelter at that point. That same 40 degrees on the coast could be freezing wind uh water it is hectic it is a different feeling cold it like eats through your clothes yeah so it's uh, it's, it would be interesting um to see how the equipment that i normally carry for these kind of dry arid high elevation conditions holds up at you know 40 feet above sea level in the fog and the wind and the, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm really excited. About it. yeah, I'm really excited about that trip. Um, okay. So, so two things I want to say that you probably already know, but I just want to say on here is, uh, poison Oak is a really serious problem. Um, 
and has absolutely exploded through the drought in California and is much worse than it's ever been. It's already bright red and that is very unusual for this early in the year. The other thing is that we now have a very severe tick problem even near the coast. Um, so like we have done, uh, we recently did a totally coastal, like literally on the beach. Um, let's call it a two and a half hour hike. Uh, and we probably pulled, not probably, actually, I know the exact number. We pulled 13 uh, ticks off of myself and the two dogs. And oh in previous years, that maybe would have been one. And it is, it is bananas. I Googled it. I guess it's up 43% this year and, and growing. So the tick situation is very serious in California. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And I know that that like you prepare for these kind of things, but that's something that took me off guard and uh, definitely people should know um, even at the coast. And that that's hasn't happened really in every year past. That is wild. So my plan to deal with poison oak and and the tick issue is I'm just going to hike in long pants. Yes. Like I'm not even bringing shorts. I'm just wearing long pants and then my long sleeve like sun hoodie. Um, and then never touch your pants ever, ever. <laughs> yeah, really? Is it that? Is it that gnarly? Because I know it's like an oil that can get and spread, you know, if you wipe it on something else. Now it's on six different things. But is it really that? that not i've never the closest i've ever come to poison oak we were hiking in uh the mountains up near big sur and yeah, i could yeah. see i could see some up on the hillside like eight or ten feet away from the trail but we were never in like direct contact with it it was never it was never something we had to like worry like oh are we touching poison oak right now it was just like it was a thing you could see off in the distance You're, oh that stuff sucks um, but we were never like right next to it, which is not going to be the case on the Lost Coast Trail. Like there's going to be sections of trail where the trail is like directly adjacent to to poison oak plants. Yeah. So um, the it, it is that serious. Um, and it, it's it's kind of a funny situation because uh, I was told by a doctor that I'm not allergic and I've never got poison oak and all my years of being in California, which. I don't know anybody else who goes outside prolifically has never had a poison oak issue. And I know that you can wash it off with warm water, but if you get it on your skin, wash it off with cold water. And that, okay. that's kind of like the biggest thing is don't touch it. My mom would always get poison oak because we'd take our clothes home and she would do our laundry and then she would touch all the poison oak and she would get it. So that's kind of how I know that tip. Um, but I haven't personally ever actually been affected by it. Fingers crossed that, that continues and that I just have a lifelong streak of never having that issue. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping that we'll just come back and be like, yeah, no, it wasn't a problem at all. Um, I feel like I could really sideline a trip. And it's, it's one of the most remote places you can be. Like it's not like even like, like we have to, we, we park at one trailhead and then we had to pay for a shuttle to get back. And it's like a two and a half, almost three hour drive to get back to where you started. Because the, the mileage to drive is actually longer than the mileage to hike. Because the road goes way inland and the loops all the way around. 
Right. So, so yeah, if it's red, it's worse, as you said. And then um, I'm just kind of saying this just in case anybody's listening to this and they're like, oh, fuck, what is this thing? So like uh, if it's red, it's at its worst. It'll be red and shiny. If it's red and dried up, obviously don't touch it, but it's a lot less dangerous because the oil gets on you and that's the problematic thing. Okay. It does get oily before it's red. So when you see the like really shiny leaves, they're about to turn red. Um, and anytime they're shiny, they're exuding oil and they can make you really, really sick. I'm actually Googling right now photographs <laughs> of poison oak just to yeah. make sure I understand. So is it out in that area? Is it is it just the poison oak or are there other plants to be aware of? Um, to my knowledge, I've. I don't think that there are any other plants that you have to be concerned with. I will say that like, it's really regional, right? Like when I went to started hiking in the Pacific Northwest, I was like, what is a stinging nettle situation? Um, and in California, we just happened to have poison oak. Um, so I've never really been affected by any other plant on the trail here. Um, but poison oak is pretty serious. And if you follow me online, I always put out a couple of PSAs in my stories where I take pictures of the gnarly uh, poison oak I see on trails just to be like, this is what it looks like. Cause it looks very <laughs> similar to uh, blackberry plants in my opinion. That's what I'm looking at right now. It looks like that is definitely like, had I not looked at this before I left, I would have looked for berries in that. So, <laughs> so now yeah, I'm, totally. glad I, I'm glad I know not to do that. Um, well, cool. I think, I think this was Wait, a great episode. The thing, the thing I'm excited about. Oh, or are God, we doing I'm such an asshole. Yeah, no, go no, for it. no, no, no. We're not doing trips, right? We're just going to do one thing that yeah, we're excited about. Yeah, let's just do about. this. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. Oh, that's really, really hard. Why did I call myself out? <laughs> um. Okay. You're committed uh, now. You have to. Okay. So, um, I am really excited about going to Oahu in September. My brother gifted me a lesson with one of the best free divers in the world. I, I don't know how you like quantify that, but like he has a ton of records. His partner has a ton of records and I have a private lesson with him. And on the same trip, we're going to do a how to dive with sharks. Um, lesson with an organization that does shark conservation and ocean education about how to how to deal with sharks in the water because i think that that's a really important thing sharks are a sign that an ecosystem is doing well like any other apex predator if you see wolves if you see bears if you see sharks that all means that the environment is good and so i actually do want to see sharks theoretically but when it comes to <laughs> actually seeing sharks like I have so far seen five or six species, um, depending on if two of them were the same species or different. And um, I've been very, I've been very lucky that leopard shark, reef shark, and nurse shark are all non-aggressive sharks. I did encounter an oceanic white tip in um, on the big Island, off off the coast of the Big Island last time I was there. And you better believe I got out of the water quick style on that one. Um, so like. Uh, everyone thinks I'm like this, like super tough person. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's a shark. It's like a hundred feet away. Like run and jump on my board. Um, and so I'd really love to be able to, uh, know what happens if someone, if, if one comes and checks you out and just generally figure out a way of being comfortable and then 
the free diving instructor, I should be able to get to 100 to 130 feet, um, which is really exciting to me because then I'll be able to go down really deep and actually see a lot of the stuff that I haven't been able to access yet. So that is uh, that's one thing I'm really excited about this year. That sounds really it's so funny that no matter what environment you adventure in, there's something that lives there that will kill you. Or hurt you really bad. Yeah. But it's just so funny. Like you're talking about free diving. You're like, oh, I got to worry about sharks. I got to worry about this. And I'm like, I'm going on this hike. I got to worry about mountain lions and bears. And like, um, one of the questions I get the most often is like, oh, what, you know, what, why do you go out in those places? Like, why do you, why do you do this? There's bears and there's mountain lions. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you just leave them alone, right? You just don't, just don't mess with them and they won't mess with you. Like, just go, just go do the thing. Um, but it's a, it's a weird phobia, I guess, that a lot of people have that keeps them from a lot of these outdoor spaces is the, is the predators. Um, but yeah, it's, just, and- it, it's just funny to me that both, both of our kind of separate, but similar worlds have different, but equally scary predators. Oh my God. Absolutely. And like, maybe we should address that at some point. Cause like I have been, I've been going into backcountry spaces uh, in various forms from like more aggressive backpacking to just really short, easy day hikes, um, literally since I could walk. And I have had one negative experience with a bear. And it is because we, uh, we hung our food properly, but bears can climb trees and bears like food and it never attacked us. It never threatened us. It did hella take our food and then took it again after we recouped it, um, (laughs) which is a story for another time. Um, But like these fears are so unwarranted. I've spent, you know, I'm, I'm not some kind of like uh, Jacques Cousseau or something, but I've spent a reasonable amount of time in the ocean I just really haven't had that problem. Um, the 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 scarier things are like um, the way that the water moves. Waves scare me. Um, I'm actually scared fairly easily, as it turns <laughs> out. Um, but like, I feel like people inflate the the fear, and uh, and and they don't know, right? And once you start going into these environments, you realize that, like. I would love it if you saw mountain lions, but you just aren't going to see them. This is not yet. <laughs> like I, I've spent, I, I, I couldn't even begin to quantify the number of hours I've spent in the backcountry, in in Nevada and, and in California and even a little bit in Utah. Um, right. I have never seen a bear in the wild. Like not even from a distance. Every single time that I've had even a hint of an encounter with a bear, it's been closer to places where people live. So I want to tell a quick story. So I, uh, I'm standing on the edge of this lake in the Grand, Ta- Grand Tetons uh, area. I'm standing on the edge of this absolutely epic lake. And so I'm like, hey, to my partner, please take a picture of me with this like epic mountain and this crazy cool lake and this beautiful view and this gorgeous day. I was like, take a picture of me in this environment. Right. So he's crouching down he takes a couple pictures and then I look over at him and a bear has snuck up behind him and is actually fairly close to him. (laughs) (laughs) 
so I'm trying to like calmly transmit that there is a bear directly behind him. It was a baby bear. It was a little bear, but it's a bear nonetheless. Right. And we both turned around and we're like, uh, well, I'm already looking at it. He turns around and, and the bear just goes, oh God, humans. And just goes sprinting the other direction. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and so like that's your most likely encounter right so one short quick story and i I think not only have we finished this episode but i think we've decided on the topic for the next one yeah uh animal encounters but just 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 a peek into how my brain works sometimes for for people listening and 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 for you even even though you you and i know each other fairly well i was hiking in lassen uh, and I'd done this big, huge loop. It was it was 30 plus miles over the course of three days. And it hit, you know, it hit the cinder cone. It hit Snag Lake. It hit all the big spots that everybody wants to see when they're in Lassen. And on the way out, it took the section of the Pacific Crest Trail that goes through that national park. And I probably encountered at least 30 different groups of people because Lassen's a pretty popular park. And it's, if you're, if you're looking for solitude, Lassen's not the spot Um, (laughs) because there's just a lot of people there and everybody I met had a bear story from that specific weekend. Like every single group I ran into was, Oh, Oh, I love that. There at this place, we saw a bear at this place. And I was getting so frustrated because I had not had a bear experience. (laughs) I didn't see any bears. Everybody else was seeing bears all over the place. And so, and this, just don't do the thing I'm about to say. If you're listening (laughs) to this story and, and you're interested in backpacking, do not follow my lead on this particular story. I'm coming up and there's this woman and her daughter and they were out on their first like backpacking trip together and they had been terrorized the night before at this campsite on the northern tip of Snag Lake. This bear just it went into their tent, it took their sleeping bags. It was just absolutely relentless. She told me she threw a cast iron fire pan uh like frying pan at the bear. Yeah. And it just like shrugged it off. It was like, it wasn't aggressive towards them. Like they weren't in any danger, but it was absolutely not leaving without their food. They're just getting physically trolled by a bear. <laughs> like, I mean, and they, the way they described it, he was just, he was relentless. He would not stop. They finally ended up packing all their stuff up and moving. I fucking went and camped in that spot. <laughs> I would hella do that, but don't do that. Nobody else do don't, that. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, side note, no bear. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Maybe I smell really bad. I don't know. (laughs) uh, I think think on that note, that's a good spot to end this episode. (laughs) Um, This was a good conversation. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks for hanging in there with us, guys.